Um, if you've been coming this term, then you'll know that we are, <coughs> excuse me, working through the Ten Commandments. Uh, in the first term, we looked at, at Exodus 1 to 18, and this term we are looking, we're slowing right down and looking at a commandment per week. And so the reading this morning comes from Exodus chapter 20, and is verse 13, and it simply says, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13. If ever this commandment was needed, it is right now and right here. Today, 74 people will be murdered in South Africa. Um, ours is the highest murder rate in the world for a country not at war. It is an astonishing statistic, that. And our world really has this sixth commandment to thank for the embedded doctrine that everybody has accepted about the sanctity of life. And there are two things that I'm certain of this morning. First of all, I'm certain that you are glad for this commandment. No one disagrees with it. Everybody assumes that it is right and that it is good. But here's the second thing that I'm almost certain of this morning, and that is that most of us don't think it has anything to do with us. For our sins are more respectable than murder. At least I hope your sins are more respectable than murder. Uh, most of us will write this commandment off by thinking, well, it doesn't really apply to me. I haven't murdered anybody and I don't intend to. And yet that is um, really the Pharisee's understanding of this commandment. The Pharisee says, um, well, it says you shall not murder. I haven't murdered. Tick. I've kept that commandment. I'm okay. But the commandments, as we have been seeing this term, are all double-edged swords, aren't they? They, they forbid something, uh, but implicitly, by implication, they command something as well. It's not as simple as saying, well, I haven't taken anybody's life, so I've kept that commandment. Sin is forbidden, don't murder, but duty is implied and commanded. This commandment acts really as a heading for a number of subjects that get teased out and applied in the following chapters. Uh, the sixth commandment is a heading really for all violent crime and has got a very wide application. Um, for example, uh, look at um, this verse that will be on the screen, Exodus 21 verse 12 says, Anyone who strikes a person with a fatal blow is to be put to death. However, if it is not done intentionally, but God lets it happen, they are to flee to a place I will designate. Here you can see that as uh, the commandment is being teased out and nuanced and applied, and there is a distinction here between murder and manslaughter that the Bible makes. Um, it's important for us to understand that there is a difference between murder, between killing and murder. This commandment doesn't say do not kill. It says do not murder. Uh, there are three kinds of killing that are permitted in the Bible. Uh, first of all, there is self-defense that is permitted. Look at this verse, Exodus 22 and verse 2. If a thief is caught breaking in at night and is struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. Self-defense is an exception. And then there is just war. And just war theory is something that our world knows about and applies. As some war 
is necessary to protect life. Just war theory comes out of Romans chapter 13 and verse 4. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. And so just war theory you can find in the Bible. The third uh, exception is capital punishment, which you'll find in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made mankind. And so killing and murder are different things and are nuanced and are made, a distinction is made between them in the Bible. I want us to think about three things together in light of this command, you shall not murder. First of all, the offense of murder. Not only are God's people to not murder, I mean, that's the easy part, isn't it? It is that they are to preserve life. That's the other side of the coin. That's the implied command. The, the core of this commandment is really the value of human life and the commitment to preserve it and to protect it. Uh, there is nothing on earth that equals the value of a human life. The command is to protect innocent human life. Uh, obeying this commandment is much more than just not murdering. It is about valuing the lives of others. It's about realizing that people are intrinsically precious uh, because they are made in the image of God. God's people are to be a loving people, gladly leveraging their own lives for the good of others. The offense of murder, what makes it so heinous, is that it is literally the obliteration of the image of God. The murderer is placing him or herself in the place of God as the arbiter of life and death and destroying the image of God in another. A preacher that I, I listened to recently pointed out that part of the modern moral intellectual dilemma is that while the image of God in people is kind of accepted as true, although it might not be called the image of God, our science and our philosophy is trying to prove that there is nothing inherently special about human life. We're not to be chauvinistic about human life. What is special about human life? Why should we care about it more than the death of an animal or a plant? And while our science and our philosophy is saying that on the one hand, on the other hand, our sociology and our anthropology is elevating human life to the position of gods who get to determine their own identity and their own value and their own worth. And so there is this uh, schizophrenia in our academic world. But you can't escape the image of God. We, we fear death because we are made in the image of God and death is unnatural and we know that. And we know, don't we, even children know that the death of a plant is not on the same level as the death of a human being. To murder is to eradicate the image of God. The first time this is talked about is Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6, uh, which we looked at earlier, but here's a, a bit of a longer quote from it. Uh, For your lifeblood I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. It's interesting that we still apply that rule. If, if, a, if a lion kills a human, then the lion is destroyed. 
It comes from Genesis chapter 9. And from each human being too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. And so God is speaking to Noah in this verse and reminding Noah of the preciousness of human life. For if you take a life, you must pay with your life, for there's nothing on earth that pays for a life other than another life. Whatever your view on abortion is or capital punishment is, the basic principle is, is that human life is priceless. There is no earthly equivalent to human life. And to be in God's image means that we reflect some part of it. Men and women reflect God more than anything else in creation. And so to destroy human life is a heinous crime. And so the offense of murder. Secondly, murder in our hearts. Jesus says a very shocking thing in Mark chapter 7 and verse 21. Have a look at this. For it is, it is from within... Out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, and there it is, murder. It's time for us to realize that murder comes from within us. It is in my nature. It is in my heart, and it is in your nature and in your heart. And it really is only for lack of opportunity and guts that I haven't actually done it. But it's there. It's lurking, and there's all kinds of signs of it. Jesus knows what he's talking about. Murder is the outworking of hate and of envy and of jealousy. And if you've experienced those things, hatred and jealousy and envy, well, murder is just a short step away from those emotions. Listen to how Jesus puts the knife in. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21, you have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Can you see the standard? Jesus' standard? Anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. The devastating news that comes from this commandment to us this morning is that we are sitting in a room full of murderers. Our hearts are full of murderous thoughts. Look at uh, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Can you see that actually the sixth commandment has a lot more to do with us than perhaps we initially thought? We need to hear it again this morning. Hatred of others is the ultimate desire to have somebody removed from our lives. We may not do it physically, but we long to do it, or we wish for it, or we daydream about it. It's in our hearts, and we've all done it. And our children have done it to us, by the way. For which child has not hated his or her parents at some point and, and wished that they were removed? It is striking, is it not, that most murders statistically are not committed by hitmen, but actually by the people who you live with. The most likely people to murder you are your family. 
And so anyone who hates his brother or his mother or his father or his sister or his neighbor shows that Jesus is right. Murder is in the heart. When you desire somebody's harm, you're exhibiting a spirit of murder. Or let's try and get to it slightly differently. Who do you envy? Um, who, who are you secretly hoping, uh, you know, somebody who's beautiful, you're secretly hoping that they get fat and ugly? Or somebody that's successful and you secretly hope that they lose all their money? It's the seeds of murder in our hearts. Aren't, or if somebody fails who you were jealous of, and, and secretly in your heart, it's, it, it, it's delicious that they failed. It's close to us, is it not? It's there, lurking in our hearts, the spirit of murder. What about um, shredding people with our words, slandering them, murdering their reputations? For that is what slander is. Or perhaps emotionally and psychologically using your words to control and to abuse. It's the spirit of murder. Our words reveal that we have murderous hearts, unseen maybe by others, but seen by God. And you might never act on your words. I hope you don't. But your heart reveals the truth. For what our hearts desire, that is what we really are. Are you beginning to see how we fall short of this commandment? You, you thought you weren't a murderer until you heard this sermon. And now you realize that actually none of us can keep this commandment. Um, and so thirdly, uh, well, this is, sorry, this is not the third um, heading. It's the subheading of the second heading. We are to put murder to death. Uh, that is uh, what what the Bible uh, asks of us now, that we are Christians. We are to kill murder in our hearts as we love others. Uh, let me show you two other ways that the Bible talks about murder, which might surprise you. Um, James says that turning a deaf ear to the sufferings of the poor and the exploited while living in luxury is murder. Look at James um, chapter 4, chapter 5. Look, the wages you fail to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. And so the exploitation of people is considered murder. The rich consider their convenience to be more important than the lives of the poor, says James. Hoarding wealth and thinking that it's all about me. And what about this? He has a second way that the Bible speaks about uh, how we can be guilty of murder. And this is, this is very confronting. Um, look at Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 8. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways, that wicked person will die for their sins, and listen to this, 
and I will hold you accountable for their blood. Wow. I think that that is talking about the fact that if we don't warn people about Judgment Day, if we don't tell them the gospel, if we allow them to continue in their ways without ever uh, caring about their eternity, that their blood is on our hands. I think this must have been in Paul's mind when in Acts chapter 20, when he said goodbye to the Ephesian elders, um, he said, I preached the gospel to you, and therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you because I preached the gospel to you. And so, friends, if you are a Christian this morning, how can you not leverage your life to take the gospel to those who haven't heard? The Bible puts it in terms of murder, blood on your hands. You know, um, there are thousands within walking distance of this building in our own town who are dying and going to hell. We must be moved by that and, uh, and activated by that. Here's the final heading, the forgiveness of murder. Can you see that the only person who really kept the sixth commandment is Jesus? For he was never envious, and never hateful, and never slanderous. You and I can't keep this commandment, but he did. He kept it for us, and he died in our place, was murdered in order to give us forgiveness for our murderous hearts. Our murderous hearts were most on display when we crucified Jesus when we killed God. But the good news this morning is that murder, even murder, is forgivable because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our murder of him results in his salvation of us. What an amazing turn of events that is. I met a man once who had committed a murder it wasn't in this country. It was in another country that he was visiting. And he murdered somebody in that country. And he managed to get back to this country without being caught, without being held to account. And after that occasion, he had become a Christian and he was carrying this terrible burden that he had actually literally shot somebody to death. He was a young man in his early 20s. And I remember sitting with him and sharing the gospel with him and the forgiveness that comes even for the heinous crime of murder. Because of Jesus, dear friends, forgiveness is available. And because of Jesus, we have passed from death to life, have we not? Look at 1 John chapter 3 again. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Here is, here is the compulsion that comes from this command. It's to love rather than to kill, rather than to murder, rather than to slander, rather than to hate, rather than to envy. We no longer hate but love, for we have shifted from death to life, and so love is the norm for us as God's people. 
in this passage of 1 John chapter 3, Jesus is being contrasted with Cain. Do you remember Cain took his brother's life? Jesus gave his life for his brothers. Uh, Cain murdered his enemy. Jesus died for the good of his enemies, you and me. And so if you are in Christ, you have passed from death to life. And so our response is to love. And so I wonder if you have um, asked Jesus to change your murderer's heart. To move you from death to life. Why don't we um, bow our heads and uh, just uh, think for a moment about how this might apply to us. And then uh, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Just a moment of quiet reflection in your own heart. Father, we uh, live in a country where life is cheap. And we pray that we would be different, that you would help us to love others the way that we have been loved, to give and not to take. Uh, Lord, forgive us for our words that have displayed a murderous heart. Forgive us for our carelessness with the lives and the reputations of others. Cleanse us, we pray. Replace our hatred with love. And how grateful we are, how thankful we are to you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who, though a victim of murder, never hated anyone, but only poured out his life even for his enemies. Thank you that his death and that his life can be credited to us. And we thank you for your spirit who changes us. And we pray that you would give us more of your spirit, that you would continue to change our hearts, and that you would teach us to love. And we pray this for Christ our Savior's sake. Amen.